Welcome to the Young Christian Business Guy video podcast powered by CBMC, the show for young Christian business guys about young Christian business guys. We talk sports, we talk business, but most importantly, we talk about Jesus. Today is June 2nd, 2020. I am John Harrison, your host. As a community, we are unapologetically Christian, unapologetically business guys, and unapologetically open and vulnerable about our lives, the challenges we face, and the faith and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We believe in two things, the power of spiritual mentorship, aka discipleship, learning what it means to follow Jesus and what it looks like to follow Jesus from another man. And we believe in the power of peer groups, surrounding yourself with others who are growing and will help you grow into the man that God designed you to be. So today here on the Young Christian Business Guy video podcast, I am going to skip our sports update, our market update, because I am so excited about the guests that we have on the show today. Um, I've gotten to know this guy uh, definitely over the past few weeks. Really, we've been acquaintances for the past few years, but really getting connected here in the past few weeks, we've had some wonderful conversations, and I'm honored to have him as a guest on the show. So with all that being said, welcome to the Young Christian Business Guy video podcast, Kendall Cohen's Kendall, awesome to have you. Welcome. Awesome, John. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Awesome. Well, I can hear you great. So welcome to the Young Christian Business Guy video podcast. Super excited to have you. Tell the viewers a little bit about yourself personally, professionally. Fill us in. Sure. Uh, I uh, In August, I'll be married 18 years to my best friend, uh, Andy. Uh, we met in college. I actually uh, had the hots for her uh, roommate. That's the romantic beginning of our relationship. But we're absolutely best friends, and uh, we've had a lot of life happen in those 18 years. Uh, I'm the father of two uh, two-year-old little blonde hair, blue-eyed girls uh, through the just amazing gift of adoption. Uh, they're only five months apart, and that's a whole other just unbelievable God story kind of in one. I've been a wealth management financial advisor for, I'll be coming around 19 years. I signed my first contract September 10th, 2001, so the day before September 11th. And um, yeah, I've uh, been with Northwestern Mutual about eight and a half years. I've been at a couple other firms and I also have a, a massive failure early in my career as well. That uh, is all just part of God uh, humbling me and, and bringing me along. Amen. That's exactly right. The faster that we can fail, sometimes those failures create in us the greatest uh, triumphs. I say a lot of times tragedies in our lives can produce triumphs. So I appreciate that vulnerability. That's one of our, our main themes here on the show um, at the Young Christian Business Guy powered by CBMC is unapologetically Christian guys, unapologetically business guys, and unapologetically open and vulnerable. So Kendall, yeah. if you'd be willing, you have, um, you've had some, some trials and some struggles in your life. Would you be willing to kind of open up about a little bit of your life journey from a health perspective? Yeah. Uh, my, I guess to kind of start how I got into the career was actually my dad, when I was in first grade, had a massive stroke and was permanently disabled and uh, he was a Northwestern Mutual client. So that actually was kind of root of how I got into the career. Uh, in 2006, June 30th of 2006, it was July 4th weekend. We we're getting ready to go out of town and I sneezed and just completely buckled over in pain because I couldn't breathe. So went into Mayo Clinic uh, here in Rochester and they found that I had a grapefruit-sized uh, tumor that was uh, malignant. It was a cancerous tumor. And uh, through a, a very aggressive chemotherapy, I actually... 
uh, ended up in a coma for a month. I was on a ventilator for about five months and I was on uh, full disability for a year and a half uh, dealing with my cancer and then recovery and rehab and everything and uh, on partial disability for almost four years. Mm. I appreciate you sharing. I, I think that's one thing about your story is so inspirational is your faith in, in the Lord. In the last couple of weeks, we've had some amazing conversations and I've been blessed to not go through such significant trials. We all have different trials that we go through that are different, differing levels of, of maybe difficulty. A lot of the pain that I've experienced um, has been troubling, but for you to go through such physical challenge, can you talk a little bit about what your faith life looked like at that point in time? And did you grow closer to God? Did you grow further away from God? And how has it been, impacted you in the last 14 years in your walk? Yeah. So I would say, first of all, what you believe about God rises to the top very quickly when you go through difficult uh, circumstances. And so what I believe about God is that um, he is good, he's present, and he's never silent. And we believe that even before I got sick. But to say that my faith was uh, where it is today pre-getting sick isn't true. I mean, it just forces you on your knees. It forces you to be incredibly low before God, just begging for his mercy and, and his comfort. And, and he, give, he gave that to us. Mm. Uh, and so uh, I would say that growing up, I grew up a believer. I, you know, my mom led me to the Lord when I was six, you know, one night going to bed because I didn't want to go to hell. Uh, I would say certainly my, my cancer journey has played a role in my faith becoming very real and very personal for me versus just a, it was just, kind of what you were, you were just a Christian and mm -hmm. we did family devotions, but I wouldn't say that I necessarily lived day by day with, uh, you know, Christ. It was more of a, um, when, if things got bad, I, I knew I could always kind of turn around and go back to him. Uh, and which is incredibly immature. I'm not proud of that, but, uh, yeah, it definitely grew. It grew our marriage, but it grew our marriage mostly because we were both growing closer to Christ through it. And that also brought us together closer. Mm. That's it's a fascinating journey you have, Kendall. Can you talk a little bit about maybe just switching gears? Can you talk a little bit about your focus in the financial planning industry? And then I want to hear a little bit about how maybe you use that as a platform uh, for ministry, if you do. Yeah. So uh, our our practice, I have uh, two full time staff, and then I also bought into a financial planning team with some other advisors. Uh, so we're a team of uh, seven uh, total, and my practice is really built around the what I call the retirement red zone. So those that are kind of 10 years within or 10 years after retirement. So I work with a lot of clients that are mid to late 50s up through you know 70s and 80s if they're retired. And that's just an area that's been a passion of mine. It's a, a demographic that I connect very, very well with. I'm deeply passionate about that. I also end up getting to work with a lot of uh, widows through that. Uh, Kind of demographic and that's probably the most rewarding group that i uh, feel that i help is you know taking the fear and confusion that often exists when a lot of times the the husband would run finances for the family and then he would tragically unexpectedly pass away and all of a sudden there would be just this confusion and everything and and some of my closest relationships with my clients actually were came to me as as widows and uh, that's just incredibly, uh, you know, 
it's just a, a blessing on my part, I would say. It's also biblical. We're, we're, we're supposed to help widows and, and orphans. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's really where my, my practice is, uh, is built around is kind of the uh, taking and flipping the switch from accumulating to actually distributing and using and living, living on money, which is highly technical. There's a lot of data that has to go into that and things like that. And um, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of what our practice is built around. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you get in some, some powerful conversations with your clients, especially um, I think whether or not uh, we all believe this, you know, different tests that we go through become our testimony. Mm -hmm. um, different experiences we have become a platform for us to share. And I'm sure you open up about some of your challenges, the difficulties you faced and allows you to get into potentially a deeper level of conversation with some of those clients. And so I think God has you perfectly positioned and equipped to be doing what you're doing. Um, obviously we find ourselves here on June 2nd, 2020 in a very unique time um, in our country's history, but I would say there are events that have taken place previously in our history that are maybe repeating themselves. There are, th are things that have taken place that are maybe now coming to the surface through some, some challenging experiences. Um, maybe we could just take a second dialogue about that. I think we should just at least, um, at least be aware of what's taking place. You live in Rochester. I'm based here in, in you know, based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, you know, what have maybe you seen and, and how as are you as a, a follower of Christ trying to share the love of Christ during this time? Yeah, I think it's, it's first of all, important to remember that empathy only exists with proximity. And so being intentional about proximity with people that are hurting right now is really uh, uh, an important part of it. I also think that uh, when you look at social media, I, I really have a hard time with the posture of what I call answering questions that aren't being asked versus having the posture of, of asking the questions ourselves. So, you know, people make comments about uh, rioting, for example, and share their opinion about it. No one asks them their opinion. They're, they're just answering the question that no one asked. Instead, I think we should all have a posture of, of asking questions and, and humbly listening and trying to understand people's perspective. Because what I know in my own life is uh, growing up white in southeastern Minnesota, is uh, back in the day, I used to have a, a pretty heavy uh, foot, pretty lead foot. And so I probably have been pulled over 40 times in, in my life. And uh, it kind of dawned on me this morning as I was talking to my associate financial advisor, we were doing devotions and praying. And I said, it dawned on me this morning that I've been pulled over 40 times. Not a single time was I concerned about my safety any of those times. And that's different than what an African-American would say. And I know that from talking to my friends who are African-American. And so uh, understanding that we are creating God's image. So we are equal in God's eyes, but that doesn't mean that we've had equal life experiences. Mm -hmm. So you, you frame that up really nicely. You said instead of answering questions or sharing our opinions on questions, really coming from a heart posture of asking questions and empathy comes from proximity. So that was that was really powerful. Have you seen any uh, tangible ways that you or, or your family or your sphere of influence have really taken this experience and shared the the love of Jesus, either you know physically or spiritually um, in your area? I, I would say that uh, the big opportunity has been in something that I know you're passionate about, John, which is discipleship. There's just been an incredible opportunity for us to 
come alongside others and disciple them through this and, and try to help all of us steer back to what God says uh, instead of just going to what we think and how we feel and all of those kinds of things. Um, you know, living in Rochester, we, we don't have any minority neighbors, to be honest, even though we live right downtown. Uh, and so uh, going back to that empathy and proximity thing, there, and I'm also quarantined because I'm, I'm high risk and so we're not leaving the house either. And so it's really kind of limited to the people that we already had relationships with. And a lot of them are virtual right now. And then just conversations with uh, neighbors. But uh, we kind of we live in a very progressive neighborhood. And a lot of our neighbors refer to us as, you know, like they're they're actually the cool Christians. And it, it's, it's not because we you know get drunk all the time or anything like that around them, but it's because we, we take our faith and we apply it in a very practical uh, sense. And so uh, it's been an opportunity to, to again, be countercultural in how we live and how we talk compared to what I think a lot of other white kind of Christians, uh, we tend mm. to see them, them doing right now. That's, you brought up some great points there. And one area that I'm super passionate about is kind of studying the early church, right? So in, in 50, 60, 70 um, AD after, you know, Christ walked the earth and a hundred years after that, for, I've come to understand that the church itself was a, a underground organization mainly because of the persecution that was going on, but it was an attraction-based uh, organization, if you will, or movement in that there was so much hope amongst people who were in hopeless circumstances that they displayed so much hope and so much joy that the people around came around them and said, you're so full of hope. You're so full of joy and you're hope. I mean, you have a hopeless existence. I need to know what is it? What gives you your hope? Why are you so, so hope filled and joy filled? And I think that's exactly what you're talking about is, is you and your wife are, are illustrating this idea that, Hey, we aren't just, we aren't just lukewarm half in half out, but this is really you know, what we believe and how we want to live out our faith. And we want others to feel the hope and the love that we have, and then get the opportunity to share that love or share that hope that we have. So Kendall, can you talk a little bit about, you made the comment of, of living your faith out in a practical standpoint. Can you share a little bit about one or two ways that you do that? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of it, John, just comes from perspective. And that's, uh, our, our family mission statement includes the idea of we're very intentional about our faith, we're intentional about community, and we're intentional about family. And I, the point is intentionality. And I, I think we have to be very intentional with our perspective as well, because as it says in First Peter, you know, the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking to devour. And I think most of that roaming actually happens in our minds. And so from the standpoint of being really, really careful with your perspective, I oftentimes get asked the question, tell me what it's like to be a Christian financial advisor. And, and I, I always say, I think it's important that we kind of flip that script. Uh, a, a lot of times I think it's important to remember, I'm not a financial advisor. That's not my identity. My identity is I'm a Christian who is a financial advisor. And so uh, the word Christian comes first. And so going back to what Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, like you, that's your first perspective. And so I have a unique opportunity to 
give wise biblical advice. Not all of my believe, uh, clients are believers. There's not some sort of test that you have to take or anything like that, but they all know that I'm a believer and I'm very, very open about that as I'm also very vulnerable about my life experiences, as, as you mentioned. And that leads to a lot of really deep relationships. As we started calling our clients back in March, as the markets were starting to get crazy, everyone was like, yeah, but how are you, Kendall? Like all our clients were, they're more concerned about me and my health and my family than they were their portfolios. And that I think just comes from being consistent and being able to, I remember one of the most powerful moments of my career was several years ago. I had a, a, a client in his mid fifties who was diagnosed with early onset dementia. And to have them come in my office and say, you know, are we going to be okay? And we had planned for it, but then being able to pray with them uh, is just a, when they're at such a low point and oftentimes financial advisors get a call before anyone else. If, if someone's pregnant, a lot of times they call the financial advisor first. If someone has an illness diagnosis, they call the financial advisor for, first. Because if you can, and, and this is in my own life experience, if you can be at a point where you don't have to think about money a lot, it frees you to have care and concern about things that really do matter. And Erwin McManus said, there, there's no such thing as a loud testimony without pain. And so there's a lot of pain in this world right now, which also means there's an incredible opportunity for a loud testimony. Mm. And again, that's usually not going to be on social media. It's going to be in one-on-one -on -one, uh, relationships. And that's exactly what I do every day as a financial advisor. It's one-on-one -on -one relationships. So uh, I'm an advisor second to being a, and really I'm not an advisor second, you know this. I mean, I'm mm -hmm. a believer then I'm a husband, then I'm a father, then I'm, I'm an advisor. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's about how you, you carry conduct. And if I have belief, clients that are believers who start going down a road of materialism or they start saying things that aren't biblical, I also have a responsibility to speak up and I, and I will absolutely do that as well. Mm. So it sounds like your cup is is overflowing a lot of the time. I mean, you're having to counsel individuals, you're having to support individuals, you're having to help them change their their emotional behavior when it comes to finances. You play a support role when somebody's diagnosed with an illness or when there's a joy in life, but you're still playing a lot of different roles and centrally trying to help them from a financial security standpoint. Talk to me a little bit about how you make sure that your cup is full so you're overflowing for others. So maybe specifically from a spiritual standpoint. Yeah. So um, I would say a couple of years ago, I was at a, a church leadership conference and I heard Matt Chandler speak and he was uh, preaching on this idea of, of abiding. And uh, he kind of talked about this idea of there's a difference between working for God or working with God. And the way he worded it is that, you know, if you work for God, which is, I think, what, you know, you and all believers can certainly relate to. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm working and I want to bring God glory, but it doesn't mean we're working with him. And he said, here's, here's the sad part. If you work for God, you can fail. But if you work with God, you cannot fail. And so... Uh, really from a spiritual discipline standpoint, it's been the John 15 4. It's, it's this idea of abiding. And Paul David Tripp uh, had a, a great uh, way of explaining this concept is, you know, doing work without God is like taking fruit and stapling it to the tree. Like 
the, the fruit will eventually rot because it's actually not abiding in the tree. It's not connected to the tree. And so the spiritual discipline of just stopping throughout the day, praying before I have a client meeting, I mean, just send, you know, getting my, my heart centered on serving and listening. I, I tend to be a very disorganized person. And so chaos tends to always be very close uh, beside me. And so just that discipline of slowing down to ask God to be a part of every conversation and every moment has been the discipline that I've been really trying to, to work mm. on lately. It's When I was in the office, it was the driveway prayer, you know, being able to turn work off and know that I'm not sure what I'm going to be walking in on when I go through the front door. It might be that the girls will be, you know, having their little picture Bibles and the fireplace will be going with worship music quietly in the background. And other times, you know, there might be a fire and a child bleeding and I don't know where mom is. I got to be ready for either of those situations. And that doesn't happen if you don't take a second to just say, okay, Lord, whatever's on the other side of that door, prepare me, help me to be patient and, and have mercy and grace and speak with uh, love. That's such a good illustration, Kendall. I've never heard that illustration before of stapling fruit to the tree. That That's huge. I appreciate you sharing that. And then constantly abiding in Christ, not just in the morning. That can sometimes, I can be guilty of that as starting off my morning, right? But then come you know lunchtime or early afternoon or at night, I, I haven't actually invited the Lord and been a continue to abide in him throughout the day. So those are some super powerful thoughts there. So just a couple more questions and we'll let you get back to your day, Kendall. Sure. Um, here at the, the Young Christian Business Guy, you know that I'm passionate about discipleship and you know we are powered by CBMC, which believes in the power of discipleship and the power of peer groups. Can you talk a little bit about one of those and the impact that they've had on your life? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll try to not get emotional about this, but um, the uh, after I came out of the coma, uh, I'm unable to talk. I can't walk. I, I can't do anything. I'm just there. I'm awake. I'm and a machine's breathing for me. And I had a, a buddy at church who we were friends. We weren't close. We had been in a small group together years earlier, but um, we, we didn't spend a lot of time together or anything like that. But he was taking his wife to work. She was a nurse at St. Mary's, which is where I was at the time. And when he was dropping her off, he said the Holy Spirit just told him, hey, go in and uh, read the word to Kendall. And so he responded to that. And we have met weekly uh, ever since, you know, with other than like now with quarantine, things have slowed down a little bit, but we still check in. And that accountability relationship will have generational impact. We both strive and hunger to be what God calls us to be as, as Christian men, as leaders of our home. And that kind of uh, continual accountability will impact my girls and what they'll expect out of a spouse, which will impact their families, which will impact their children and, and just go on down the line. And uh, the best example I can give with just the value of that is I remember uh, a couple of years after I got out of the hospital, we kind of hit our seven year uh, point in our wedding. And as a lot of people know, that tends to kind of be a hard year. And that was a hard year for us. And I remember at one point I said to my, my buddy, John, I said, you know, John, I'm just gonna be honest. Like, I don't even know if Andy's all that committed to our marriage. And he kind of looked at me and he's like, yeah, I know what you mean. I, I, I remember Kendall, you know, a couple of years ago, walking into your hospital room when you were in a coma 
And Annie was, you know, on her knees weeping and begging God to save your life. And I remember that's what I thought to myself too, that she's probably just not that committed. That is, you know, that's, that is needed in every, uh, every man's life. And, uh, you know, I said, okay, I get what you're saying. And he, you know, said, if you ever say something that stupid again, I, I mean, I will knock you unconscious because I, I love you too much to let your brain go down that road. Oh, well, thanks for sharing that story and ending it with something funny. So my tears all of a sudden stopped because <laughs> that's, that's super powerful. I think you're off, off, uh, referencing the power of a Barnabas in our life too. You know, someone walking right alongside you, holding you accountable, telling you when you're wrong, but also encouraging you, you know, exhorting each other, you know, sharpening one another. Um, so I appreciate you sharing that, Kendall. That's other, really than my, other than my spouse, it, it is the most important relationship in my life, really, because mm. that accountability and that discipleship bleeds into every single other area of my life. And that's why it's it's so important. Amen. Amen. Well, before we jump to our verse of the day, I just want to ask you one more question. I appreciate you coming on, Kendall. It's been an awesome time having you. Um, yeah. So if you were sitting across the table from yourself. So you, you got sick for, uh, 14 years ago. So maybe a couple years before then, I'm not sure what your relationship with the Lord looked like, but obviously you went through, you went through um, a life altering experience. And I often hear my mentor tells me, he goes, when people go through near death experiences, it can oftentimes force them to change. So when you're either near death, AKA near someone that passes away, or you're near death yourself, it can cause you to start to have a significant change of perspective. So you are one of those people, I would say the minority of people in their in their 20s and 30s that really experienced that. And so if you were looking at yourself before then, before you went through that experience, what it would you tell yourself about life what to do differently, what to add, what to subtract, et cetera. Yeah, I, I would say uh, number one is be very self-aware the role that the idol of comfort plays in your life, Kendall, um, and making sure that you don't let that be the filter of every decision. And mm. kind of with that is reject selfish passivity. Uh, mm. I mean, the path of my life where I am today would be dramatically different if that message had taken root in my life, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you know, coming out of high school, going to college, if some wise old man had sat down and just said, you know, boy, uh, be aware of the role that the idol of comfort plays in your life and reject selfish passivity. Uh, the course of my life would be dramatically different. Mm -hmm. And I, I pay the price today and we all do. We continue to pay the price for, the, the role that I, you know, comfort plays in our lives, the desire for comfort and, you know, selfish passivity of, uh, you know, either uh, doing things we're not supposed to do because we're being selfish or not doing things we're supposed to do because we're being selfish. I'm going to, I'm going to end on that, Kendall. That was a super powerful ending to a conversation that I've been looking forward to. And I just want to say thank you so much for your openness, your transparency. Thank you for the little nuggets that I'm going to take away from this. And I hope you have a great week and a great afternoon. Thanks for taking some time. Awesome. Sounds good. It was an honor to be asked and um, appreciate what you're doing, John. This is, it's, it's needed and uh, 
there, there's a giant vacuum of need for this. So, mm -hmm. so uh, praise the Lord. Talk to you soon, Kendall. Take care, buddy. Yep. Yeah, thanks, brother. So that, man, I have so much to recap from that conversation. But before we do that, I just wanted to pull up this verse that, that, uh, Kendall was referencing during the time when he was talking, he said, uh, John 15, four, which says, remain in me, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And I think about that. He so illustrated it so perfectly with the idea of stapling fruit to the tree right? We could have such great things going on in our life, but ultimately that fruit is going to rot because it's not actually coming from the tree. So remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And he talked about this idea of remaining in Christ, abiding in Christ, not just in the morning, not just in the evening, but constantly throughout the day. Uh, there was so much powerful information that Kendall shared there, but ultimately it was all from his experience and the challenges he had been through. And I kind of want to start with the end when he talked about rejecting uh, uh, passivity in your life and not making comfort an idol. That is my biggest takeaway, not making comfort an idol in our lives. He also talked about um, the power of living out his faith in practical ways. Um, he talked about how he has to have his cup full um, when he's in these relationships because he's often the first to hear about a sickness or a first to hear about a joy with his with his clients. And he needs to be in a position and a posture of support to be able to, to handle um, probably, I would say, uh, quite a few clients that he has that relationship with. Um, and then he, he talked about this process of, of pain that he went through from a physical standpoint, but it really brought him to his knees. It brought him to his knees to the point where he was crying out to God. And at one point in time or another, most of us are going to go through something that is challenging like that. And I just praise the Lord right now for, for Kendall and his relationship and how he grew closer to the Lord during these trials and these sufferings. In Romans 5, 3 through 5, his suffering did create perseverance and his perseverance did create character and the, and the character created hope and hope does not disappoint. And I'm just so grateful for him to, to share that. And, and one of the most powerful stories that he shared was this idea of um, connecting with a man who has really served as a Barnabas in his life and, and also brought a lot of value of discipleship is this idea that, that Kendall's, I would say his flesh was almost taking away over a little bit when he said, you know, I don't feel like my wife has been fully committed um, to, you know, really wants to be fully committed. And, and um, his, his, Barnabas, if you will, his, his partner's discipleship mate, whatever you want to reference his ad, came back and said, Kendall, I'm, I'm going to disagree. And he did it kind of tongue in cheek. But he said, you know, I, what I think about is I think about your wife there when you were in a coma on her knees begging for God to heal you. And so oftentimes I just think about how our mind can play tricks on us so we can just continue to create this false narrative in our head without truly understanding the truth that's going on that was pointed out by somebody close to us in our lives and the vulnerability and the openness and the proximity of that relationship that they had. So as we close today here at the Young Christian Business Guy video podcast, we believe in the power of discipleship, aka spiritual mentorship, and we believe in the power of peer groups. And if you are out there and listening and want to get connected, you can visit ycbguy.com, y as in young, c as in Christian, b as in business guy, g-u-y.com, 
We can get you connected to a mentorship, a, a spiritual discipleship relationship. We can get you connected to a peer group. We can get you connected to our national call that we have uh, for, for young Christian business guys from around the country. And we can also help you process through your faith questions. So visit that website, ycbguy.com and get connected. Uh, today, June 2nd, 2020, and an, another amazing episode of the Young Christian Business Guy video podcast. I am John Harrison, your host. Remember, stay on purpose, and we'll see you next time. Take care.